passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Post Wrestling's UFC 251 preview show. I am John Pollock, along with the big Phil combo himself, Phil Chertok, who is with me on this wonderful Thursday as we are two days out from UFC 251, the first of four cards in Abu Dhabi this month. How are you, Phil? I'm I'm great, John. I feel like I'm in Abu Dhabi right now. Uh, we are going through a uh, blistering heat wave. Um, at uh it's it's that's been going on what i think two weeks now um and uh i'm upstairs and my air conditioning is working overtime this is way really downplayed this the other night just you know he's you know it's it's always hot in the summer i feel this summer (laughs) these last two weeks it has been excruciatingly hot like the humidity is like hitting like 40 plus celsius here in the city i mean this is this is ungodly weather for me oh yeah i mean i I generally don't have too much problem with the heat. Like if I can, I can go outside and I can be in the shade out during most temperatures. Uh, but I tried to go outside yesterday and, uh, I, I couldn't last, uh, 15 minutes. It was, it was horrible. It was a weird day on Wednesday. We had in between like scorching heat. We had a tornado watch in the middle. I lost power on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had this, uh, I mean, it was like before the heat wave, it felt like we had, uh, like, a you know, this, uh, the returning of an ice age. It was cold for a bunch of weeks as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we like to complain in Canada about the weather. So, uh, we're, we're representing. I just like to get all, let, let's get all our complaining out in 2020. Let's just, uh, look at the, this entire year of all, all the faults that the world is, uh, presenting, uh, weather wise, uh, uh, disease wise i mean it's it's just all coming to a front in 2020 yeah okay so no more complaining um we'll just be satisfied and content uh going forward sure i love it well how about this segue would you rather be fighting in abu dhabi in the middle of the day where it's currently something like 43 celsius or would you like to face the realistic uh outcome that these fighters have in that they will be fighting between uh, 2 and 8 in the morning local time in Abu Dhabi. So you're saying which is the worst scenario? Would you rather Would you rather be fighting at 5 in the morning local time or would you rather be fighting at uh, the middle of the day or a normal time where the heat would be that much more? Granted, they are indoors. Well... Yeah, I mean anything to minimize the heat. Um, I would say that the heat is is something that you can't prepare for as easily as uh, just a change in uh, the you know the hour of the day. Um, so I think you can adapt to that fairly easily, but it, it's hard to uh, replicate uh, the atmosphere of a desert. Yeah, it was a very funny clip because Ariel Hawani was interviewing Paige Van Zant, and this was only a week or so ago. 
And Ariel asked her about the main card starting at 6 a.m. local time. And this was news to Paige. She was not aware that her fight would be at about 6 in the morning. And this is like a week before she's heading to Abu Dhabi. I mean, this was quite the curveball to learn of during a media interview. Uh, yeah, you'd think that, uh, her management would have, you know, just informed her of that little note. Um, but, uh, hey, look, I think in general, life is going to be a little bit different for the people who are staying on Fight Island. So, um, they're going to need to get used to, uh, all sorts of adaptations. Okay, we should uh, have a bell for every time Fight Island is said during this, uh, show. Well, I'm, I'm going to try and keep it low. I think, I, I think the marketing <laughs> of this thing's gone a, a little bit too, too intense. I mean, for Christ's sake, we're, we're going to where the UFC 242 was last September. That, that's what's happening here. Yeah. But if, if we think about it as sort of like, you know, the U- UFC likes to put on these like tentpole events. It's, it's not uncommon for the 4th of July one to be that. And there is all this hoopla surrounding the myth, you know, this comical myth of Fight Island. And, and it is a really eagerly anticipated event. Uh, people are anxious to see these fights. People are anxious to see anything really in this pandemic where uh, the UFC has been able to be the standout sport. Yes. If you've seen the photos of the octagon on the beach, that is not what you're going to be seeing on Saturday when you tune into this card. Uh, they will be uh, indoors and it's a loaded card. This is um, and one that's gotten, I, I would say, a pretty significant upgrade over the past several days. And that is a new main event with Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal. What did you think about everything as it was uh, coming together over the weekend, Phil? And what led to this main event? Did it surprise you that at the end of all of this, we had a main event involving Jorge Masvidal. It didn't surprise me. Um, I, I wouldn't say I, I saw it as like a sure thing. Um, but the second I heard that Burns was out, Masvidal was the first name that popped to mind. Of course, with the caveat that the UFC uh, better be willing to pay up. And uh, I think this it's, it's not that Gilbert Burns, it's not like, this uh, the main event of Gilbert Burns versus Kamaru Usman was going to be a big driver of of pay per view buys, but um, I, I think the notion of this being a special event is something that the UFC wanted to preserve, and you know maybe what Masvidal was asking for was reasonable enough that uh, they were able to come to terms. I mean, clearly it was. Um, so, uh, you know, because it was so short notice, I definitely didn't say it was a, uh, likely outcome, but, uh, if you go on the discord, uh, on the, I think the Friday or the Saturday, I, I had it pegged at plus 500 that it would happen, uh, that Masvidal would step in and it did. So I should have put my money down. In terms of, uh, preparation for this fight, you know, it seems like Masvidal, he had hardly just been sitting at home during this time. He's got... You know, as of Saturday, he said he had 22 pounds to cut and he is supremely confident that his style is going to work very well against Kamara Usman. The last time we saw Kamara Usman, uh, might have been one of, uh, I-, I would say the most entertaining fight Kamara Usman's ever been a part of with the Colby Covington fight. But I think that Usman is still that fighter that is seeking that validation from fight fans of in terms of how great a champion he is and 
I think justifiably so is a big favorite going into this fight, especially given the circumstances that this is someone who has been training for a five round fight and Masvidal, uh, confidence or not that, I mean, you're getting ready for five rounds with Kamaru Usman. That's a giant task to take on on a week's notice. Yeah. Um, I, I think though, as you already mentioned, the, the idea that he's stepping in on a week's notice isn't a realistic, um, uh, depiction of the whole story because he was preparing for Usman all year. It was the, the name that everybody anticipated. Um, it was tied to this date before pandemic. And, uh, you saw through his social media videos that, uh, Masvidal was preparing, um, specifically for Usman. He brought in Bo Nickel, who's like one of the top amateur wrestlers in America. And, um, when and I mean the fight only fell apart a month ago, really. So it's not like Usman had like a true true camp, training camp for Burns, and you know Masvidal being savvy probably anticipated that this was was something. So he stayed fit enough that he could step in there. And this twenty two pounds, I know that sounds like a lot to people, but um, if he can get there on time. Uh, it really shouldn't be that big a deal for him to make weight. No, unless there were extreme circumstances. I mean, it's a long flight over there, granted, but um, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you know, there, there's quarantine periods thrown into this week, so this is kind of unlike uh, prior empty arena cards that the UFC has been running because the measures are that much more. So it's kind of hard to say if fighters are encountering more issues than normal when it comes to just focusing on on cutting weight but i don't foresee the weight being uh an issue this week uh, we'll find out on friday but nonetheless uh i don't think that's going to play a major factor in this for jorge masvidal he he really exercised his leverage he was not going to take this fight for the terms that were offered to him and thus gilbert burns slid right in there and here the ufc was in a pinch and suddenly his leverage grew and he stated that he didn't get everything he wanted but he got pretty close to it and i think it becomes even more of an interesting case for masvidal you know he indicated that in agreeing to this he had to agree to a long term contract but i think we're going to see masvidal carry this out and probably other fighters that i don't care how many fights are on my contract if masvidal wins this fight and you want to pair me with a conor mcgregor or a rematch or a gilbert burns uh I'm going to want to get paid and we're going to have a negotiation every single time you want me to fight. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, in many ways been the case for, um, a lot of fighters. This is seemed to be sort of the Conor McGregor strategy. It seems like every single fight he has a new deal. Um, and, uh, this is the case for pretty much, uh, Nate, every Nate Diaz would probably Diaz. be in that category. Yeah, I, more guys it, it, exercising their, their power when they feel that they have the the numbers to support them, and they're also willing to walk away, which is a key part as well. Yeah, well, I think there's the two two aspects to it. It's the numbers and and the ability to walk away. Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal, Conor McGregor have all of those things. Uh, somebody else that we want to talk about is John Jones. Mm -hmm. Now, John Jones may have the ability to walk away. But he doesn't quite have the numbers that the other names do. And um, so it, it, it's a delicate uh, balancing act. Now, at the same time, John Jones can learn from this. He, if he's willing to hold out and, you know, these types of as, – as long as the pandemic is happening, fight 
cards are going to be booked on much shorter notice than they historically have been because they're for two reasons. First of all, you know, everybody's going day by day and because there's no pressure of advanced ticket sales. So if you're a fighter and you want to hold out for a main event and a payday, you know, you, you might need to be prepared to step in on a short notice like Masvidal has done this week. Yeah. And that's, and it's, it's certainly like a game of chicken that these fighters are playing because the UFC is at a point that, you know, I think a lot of times when we assess these kind of moves, we always look at it that the UFC is in this, uh, you know, this big pressure point. It's like they, they were going to get the same amount of money from ESPN for this card, regardless of who the challenger was. It all comes down to the UFC and how incentivized they are to upgrade a fight. For this, they felt it was necessary to replace Gilbert Burns and meet Jorge Masvidal at least some of the way of what he was wanting. And it's an interesting message that it sends to other fighters that, you know, it will, based on the UFC's wants, um, that's where you create your demand. And it's only going to be a very small number of fighters that can qualify for that kind of leverage. But more and more, I think you're going to see fighters that are going to try and experiment with this and see what they can get. But they have to be, they have to have that ability to know that I'm going to walk away from a fight and I might not get booked for a fight for, for quite a while, at least not under the terms I want. So that's, uh, that's, that's the game that's being played now among a select few. Yeah. Uh, but the key is you do need those numbers. It, it's not, it's not just uh, a straight check every time with the SPN. They have a base amount, but if the UFC does exceed targets, they both share in the profits of those, you know, bonus pay-per-view. I, I don't know if, so, I don't know a hundred percent if that is the case or not. I've, I've heard, I've heard contradictory to that. It, it, it would strike me as antithetical to both parties to, to not be the case because ESPN wants the UFC to be putting on, they want Conor McGregor on there, right? So if if the UFC is not going to get a piece of the pay-per-view pie on Conor McGregor, then it doesn't, you know, then they're not incentivized to use him on that particular event. Um, we should probably figure it out. Either way, it is important that you need numbers, right? Because if you're just holding out and just saying you want more, but you can't uh, give a, a clear um, value for you, then then the the UFC is not going to take you seriously. And the UFC is in the business of fulfilling their their deal to ESPN. And I mean, part of having this this guarantee, like at least that you're you know what your what your ceiling or what the floor is going to be that you can guarantee. You want ESPN to to continue that that distribution method for you, and I think that it comes with you know the expectation that we are going to be putting together these big fights, and I think that ESPN they play a big role in all of this. Um, anyway, that that's kind of the makings of this main event. Uh, it's not coming together as though both have full out training camps, but what kind of fight are you expecting to see? And what did you take away from Usman's performance against Colby Covington? Because I think the, the narrative that this is this, this grinding wrestler is somewhat of a false one because I don't think that Usman's striking gets enough credit. Conversely, I don't know if Masvidal's uh, takedown defense and ability to last with Usman if this goes to the ground probably gets enough spotlight either. Yeah, I, I agree on both those points. I mean, uh, Usman's been training with Henry Hoof through his entire career. And that's one of the most, the, not only was he a premier kickboxer, but he's a premier MMA and kickboxing coach. And uh, we've seen him uh, 
raise his striking game. The Colby fight was interesting because there was more on the line in that fight than winning or losing. Like it was clear that there was a mano a mano aspect to it. So it almost seemed like he was, Usman was, even though he was of course supremely confident in his skills, he was willing to throw a little bit more caution to the wind in that one, just because that was, that was his game plan for that. Um, but I think in this fight, do I think he's got good striking skills? Yes. And they're underrated? Yes. But I don't think it would be wise to engage in the same type of battle that he did with Colby Covington in this one. I think if he wants the clearest way to win, it's through uh, his wrestling. Um, and then on the flip side of that, as you were talking about Masvidal, he has tremendous defensive wrestling. It's excellent. Um, now, is it good enough to keep Kamaru off of him? enough that he can circle away and punish him on the feet. I don't know. That that's that's the hard part. And and I think that's why Kamaru Kamaru is the significant favorite in this fight. Yeah, I think this is a fight for for Masvidal um that I think the the first two rounds are going to be key for him and conversely for Usman to not wear himself out um if he's if he's struggling for the takedowns and if he can't get them early, does he shy away from those or does he exhaust himself continually uh, going for takedowns? I think this could be turned into a really fascinating fight. We we could see this one go the entire uh, five rounds. I think if if someone is going to get stopped, it's going to be Usman. I don't think uh, I think Masvidal. If he's going to lose, it's probably going to be a decision and just um, get, gets broken down by Usman over five rounds. Yeah, that I generally have a similar assessment, um, you know, to the point about like if a lot of it I think is going to come down to it's not even so much if if Usman can get the takedown. If he can press Masvidal up against the cage and work enough with the strikes to the body and knees that uh the referee doesn't move the position and Masvidal can't escape, he can do that for a 100 rounds. Uh, you know, we saw that against uh, Tyrone Woodley. And Tyrone Woodley on paper is a better wrestler than Masvidal. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think, um, I think the path for Usman is fairly clear. I mean, it doesn't mean he can't win another way, but, but there's the A game. What do you see being the most, uh, for the UFC, the most advantageous outcome here? Because, on the on the surface, you look at okay, a Masvidal win here. There are so many huge fights that you can make. Whether it is uh, Conor McGregor coming up to 170, the rematch with Nate Diaz, uh, but that comes with uh, the UFC. I think that they are going to have to do business with with Jorge Masvidal, and I think that he's going to play this game again. If you if you are the UFC, do you lean one way or the other of like which Masvidal probably comes with with more. Uh, with more business collisions, but is also the guy that brings you tons of fights, um, or at least I would say two very big marquee ones. Yeah, I, I think really you want Masvidal to win because it's just bigger marquee fights and they're sooner. Um, it's Kamaru could could end up being a big marquee draw down the line. I mean, he's incredibly. Uh, charming individual. I mean, it's, it's hard not to, uh, just melt when you see him with his daughter or even just talk about his daughter. Um, so, you know, he has star potential, not the same Masvidal type potential, 
But I think right now for the UFC and WME, you know, the sooner the better. You know, they they want to make some money now, and I think Masvidal, uh, he gets the W. Um, as long as you know, you know, they're generating a lot of buys, then I don't think they will have a problem uh, at doing a deal with them for even bigger fights. You you think uh, Masvidal fighting Nate Diaz or Conor McGregor, they would do either of those fights if you can't? Uh, generate a live gate. Do you think that it's big enough that they would they would still try and push forward? Because it doesn't seem that they have had the indication to do anything with Conor McGregor because of that reason. But I mean, Masvidal McGregor, obviously, that is that is a gigantic fight. And if you're looking at the big picture, uh, do you just look at hey, we're going to do enormous business on pay per view that the live gate it stings, but there's still a ton of revenue to be made from that fight. This is sort of one of those scenarios where uh, at some point you have to call it. The UFC, you know, they wanted to potentially get, they were examining the possibility of fans being there for Stipe Cormier and they bailed on that. And look, it's not, if, especially for Conor McGregor, if, you know, a place like New Zealand or South Korea, you know, a modern country that has, you know, pretty much generally done a very good job of neutralizing the coronavirus, if those places are able to have spectator events, I could see the UFC putting on a massive event in a place like that where, you know, people are already willing to travel. But um, at some point, if you don't think there's going to be fans for the foreseeable future, you do have to do something. Like Conor McGregor is has a contract, like all the other UFC fighters, where he's owed three fights a year. Mm-hmm. So um, the UFC does have now. I'm sure, you know, it seems like Connor's quieted down. I think he maybe they spoke. The UFC spoke to him, or he came to realize that. Oh wait, he he retired. Phil, I forgot he he retired oh, last month. That's right. What what are we even talking about? I can't. I I'm so sorry. <laughs> I dude, I totally forgot about that till mid sentence that he had he had retired last month. That was the last we heard of him. And I guarantee you, we're getting a Conor McGregor tweet uh, right around the decision being read on Saturday night. Uh, he, I have no doubt that he will have some, uh, attempt to steal the spotlight. His pattern is becoming very, very telltale. Like it's very easy to read from the Conor McGregor book at this point and know, uh, what, what his playbook entails. Yes. Now to, to grant him a, a small amount of sympathy, you know, he did seem like he was eager to get back on th- the track of things, right? Like he, he started the year right. Uh, but you know, Unfortunately, coronavirus hit and he can't get in there. So I think had he been more active, we wouldn't be so consumed by his social media antics. Uh, so it, it's a really fascinating main event. I will say, though, of um, of the main card, uh, one that I'm I don't even know how to break down this fight because it, it's going to be very interesting to see what the preparation was like, how much stock you put into what Max Holloway has stated publicly about a lack of sparring and just working on Zoom with his with his coaches. Uh, none. None. You There's think it's all no gamesmanship? I mean, I'm not. I don't think he had optimal training, but he's been training with bodies. I guarantee you. Yeah, and it's been very serious in Hawaii when it comes to gyms being shut down. That I don't know if he wants to necessarily implicate himself if he has been training in gyms. It's really hard to imagine him preparing for this championship fight, accepting this fight, and hanging out on Zoom uh, doing shadow boxing. Uh, yeah, and maybe he also just, you know, maybe it's the example he wants to set too. Maybe he just, you know, wants to make sure that uh his fans 
think he takes it seriously or maybe he's just having fun with the media and everybody else. It's hard to read. That's kind of, I guess that's what makes it entertaining. So it's Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight title for the first time against a man who he beat for the title last December. Um, and both him and Kamaru Usman riding their win streaks into this card. Both of their win streaks began on the very same night, Phil, in December of 2013. How crazy is that? That's wild. Were they on the same card, I, I guess? It was not on the same card. No. Uh, oh, really? It, it was b- both of their win streaks started pre-UFC. Oh, wow. Okay. So cool. Volkanovsky is coming into this fight having won 18 straight fights, unbeaten in the UFC. Um, their fight uh, last December... Volkanovski winning by unanimous decision on scores of 50-45, 48-47, 48-47. I think most clearly had Volkanovski winning that fight. This was not some uh, controversial outcome. But the rematch, I mean, this is one of those fights where, I mean, if they fought 10 times, are they going to split them in half? I don't really know. But I think with Alexander Volkanovski, um, he's going to have to prove me wrong because I, I thought he put forward a great game plan in terms of uh, – confusing Max Holloway and being able to showcase over 25 minutes why he was the better fighter. This was not, you know, just catching him in the first round and we're going to run this back. This was a pretty strong win for Alexander Volkanovsky. But what what kind of Max Holloway do you expect here in this rematch? That That is the key question. I think, you know, Volkanovsky's performance was terrific in the first fight. I think we can expect, we should expect more of the same plus better. and. Um, in the case of Max, maybe we'll see that. It's hard to tell. Like, because in the first fight, he was able to make adjustments mid-fight um, and gain ground in the later rounds. Yes. Um, but so that does give me confidence that he will approach this fight differently. Now, at the same time, um, I've heard him in some interviews comment that you know, he sort of dismissed the leg kicks that were such a factor in the first fight. And it's like, okay, are you dismissing them because you have a strategy to deal with them? Or are you dismissing them just because you say they didn't bother you? Um, so if, if, if the approach is a, involves tactical change, um, I'm really curious to see what he can offer. Um, I, I definitely don't have it set in stone that the champion is going to defend his title on this one, even though he looked so strong in the first fight. Yeah, Max Max Holloway, it's, it's very hard to see because he is someone that you can see big changes fight to fight and how he adjusts to this one. Um, I, I'm very curious to see. I th- This would not be a fight I, I would be touching if I was someone that uh, was prone to gamble on fights because I, I think even under the best circumstances, it would be hard to predict what, what kind of uh, Max Holloway will see here. And given everything that's going on with these training camps, who, who's to say what, what we're going to see? This one... Uh, I, I really don't have a great read on this on this fight at all. I think it could go either way. I would say Max Holloway, a loss here. Uh, what does that happen to Max Holloway in the featherweight division if he's down uh, two, two losses to the current champion? Well, it certainly puts him in a bind for, for going after a title uh, shot at that division so quickly. Um, but there's so many contenders in the division. It's, it's, you know, it's not inconceivable that somebody else steps in. Max is an incredibly popular fighter. He's one of the most popular fighters in the UFC. He's not like elite superstar, but of the people that are sort of just below that tier, he's right up there. Um, and um, he still has opportunities at 155 as well. Like I, I know people wrote off that Dustin Poirier loss, you know, he, you know, saying that he was small uh, for that fight. 
But yeah, that was his first fight at 155. And he had moments in that fight. It was competitive. He lost. Um, and he's still fairly young. And uh, if you look at Dustin Poirier, he didn't do great when he first went up to 155. And now he's the cream of the crop there. So um, I, even with the loss, I think there's still a ton of options for Holloway. Uh, vacant bantamweight title. Henry Cejudo uh, has left the division, left the sport. So he's at the same uh, home as uh, Conor McGregor. That's it. You know, all these fighters, they're, 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 they're retired for life. We'll, we'll never see them come back. So it's Jose Aldo fighting uh, Piotr Jan. Jan is unbeaten uh, in the UFC. He has gone 6-0, and coming off uh, his most recent wins over John Dodson, Jimmy Rivera, and Uriah Faber. Uh, given those list of opponents, like, Jan has looked fantastic. And you can only beat the guys that are put in front of you. And he has passed them all with flying colors. That said, are you expecting um, this to be his toughest challenge in Jose Aldo. On paper, it should be his toughest challenge. Um, I think the the fight with Jimmy Rivera, looking back on it, was uh, very impressive. Not because it was the most thrilling fight, but just the level of patience and um, precision that he was able to sh show in that fight. Um Yes, Aldo should be his toughest. I mean, Aldo's fought the cream of the crop at 145 and now uh, at 135. Um, the one question, though, is, uh, yes, uh, Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo made featherweight or uh, bantamweight before, but he made so at 136, and this fight is going to be at 135. And uh, one pound might not sound a lot to people, but uh, I I'm still not sold on Jose Aldo at this uh, in this division. So... Um, I, I'm I'm curious what's going to come from the weight cut. Yeah, I mean, we saw him make it uh, once. I mean, this is he doesn't get the one pound allowance this time. Um, yeah, it, it's really hard to see. Like, I, I'm I'm favoring Yawn in this fight, but I I I don't discount Jose Aldo. Um, I, I think that if we get a you know, a, a Jose Aldo performance, uh, like Marlon Marias, I think Yawn is at least going to face pressure that he probably hasn't to this level. Um. But although at the same time, he's 33, but the man has been through a lot of fights uh, at the age of 33 as well. So this this to me is a, a very big crossroads fight for Jose Aldo uh, of everybody here on this card. It's two distinct pathways that he could go a win. Uh, what a story that comes out of this of him winning a championship at a different weight class, a loss. And I, I don't know what Jose Aldo is looking at because this is in theory, going to be his last opportunity at a UFC championship. So uh, to me, the most on the line is on Jose Aldo's shoulders on Thursday, on Saturday. I don't know. You never know. He could lose another number one contenders <laughs> match. That's right. That's right. Never discount that, folks. Maybe it'll be a swerve and he could lose this fight. And Dana says it was a real close decision. We're awarding this to Jose Aldo. <laughs> I am uh, invoking my promoter's license because I run <laughs> Fight Island and I am the fourth judge. So you're right. I, I should not make such grand statements as uh, the last championship ever for Jose Aldo. But I'm interested to see this. Like, Jan, I, I think that sometimes oh, yeah. we just default to he should run through Jose Aldo. Although I'm not expecting that. Um, I, I think that he will face a test here. And we'll probably learn a lot more about Piotr Jan because I don't know. You know, Jimmy Rivera, probably the toughest opponent he's fought. I think Uriah Faber, certainly this was not the Uriah Faber of 10 years ago that he beat. Um, yeah, so Jose Aldo is probably for most past that prime of his career, but not to the extent where he's any kind of pushover to me. 
No, not at all. And and look, we we mocked the 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 Marias fight, but you can make a case that he won the fight. Um so and he did look good in that fight despite the weight cutting. So, um maybe 135 is the uh home for him and he, maybe he is good enough to be a champion and just like you said, it would be a tremendous story. Uh and uh it would just uh it would put him uh at an even higher level of what's already a Hall of Fame career. Uh, the main card rounds out with a uh, two women's fights at 115 pounds. It's a rematch uh, from UFC 237 uh, with Rose Namajunas fighting Jessica Andrade, both former 115 pound uh, champions. Uh, in that fight, it was it was such a strange fight because I thought it was maybe the best round I've ever seen from Rose Namajunas in the first round, and then the second, she gets knocked out with this slam, and Jessica Andrade wins the fight and then loses it in her first defense to uh, Zhang Weili later in the year. And this rematch, um, we haven't seen Rose Namajunas since that fight uh, over a year ago. Um, and you would you would think that you know on paper it was a pretty impressive knockout from Andrade, but I mean Nama Yunus was lighting her up in that first round, and I thought she was looking fantastic up until the finish. Yeah, she was, and and, and you know you know the pro the the whole thing with the finish was you know she'd taken that slam in the first round. So it was like when the second one came around, it was like, oh, well, I already took this. It's not going to be a big deal. And yeah, it, it put her out. And But as you said, she was lo- looking tremendous. Um, always a lot of questions going into a Rose fight. Um, you know, she's somebody who uh, wears her heart on her sleeve. And she does that in the public space as well. So, um, you know, you, 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 you always wonder how um, people deal with all of their emotions, you know. Fighting is already hard enough. And then when people have like all these personal things going on, and then there's these whole social things going on. Um, but you know, that's sort of been the story of her career. So, um, I kind of anticipate her to fight at her best, even with, um, all these, uh, issues that she's dealing with. Do you think a title fight is at stake for, uh, the winner of this fight? I think there's a title fight at stake for Rose. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I mean, it's it's not inconceivable that Jessica gets put into a title fight again. But I, I think they really want to do that Rose fight. That that has the potential to be a, a really big fight. Uh, I think, and um, yeah. It, so uh, they wanted to win. Yeah, I, I could. I could see certainly uh, the next championship fight for uh, for Zhang Weili being if Rose wins this fight or they run back the rematch with Joanna again because I think that's a rematch they can go to uh when whenever they want to and I don't think people would be upset with giving people the fight of the year in a in a rematch. Yeah, I I I I totally agree. All right, and then we'll touch on the uh, the last fight, uh, which is the last fight on her current UFC deal, Paige Van Zant against Amanda Hebus at 115 pounds and you know, most are looking at this as a tough opponent being thrown at Van Zant in this last fight, where I think most are expecting that Van Zant will, at the very least, be testing out free agency and probably a good chance that this is her swan song in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough opponent, but uh, I think people uh, underrate Paige Van Zant a little bit. I do, you too. Know, she's one of these, these, you know, she got thrown to the wolves. Uh, she, she, uh, put, there was one fight they put her in there against somebody Rose. she had no business. Yeah, that, that was pretty bad. Um, but, you know, she hung in there and she showed a lot of toughness in, in, in that fight. Um, so, um, 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets the win. Um, she's still young. She's she's clearly, you know, people criticize her for whatever being making money on Instagram or something. But you know, she's clearly committed to the sport of MMA. It's not like her primary, you know, it's it's not like a pastime um, for her. So um, you know, win or lose, I think she'll still. Uh, well, I mean, I want to say she'll do well going to Bellator, but is Bellator even a thing? Like. Are they going to have events? Like, what's going on? I mean, I mean, they'll be back. I, I think that for Paige, that that I, I think she'd get a good offer from Bellator. There's a big fight to be made with her and Alima Lay McFarlane that I think would do well under normal circumstances. And I think Bellator is desperate to put on any kind of fights that are going to grab some publicity for them, because uh, Bellator to me has taken several steps back when it comes to just the the general fight fan and their awareness level. Like to me, Bellator just seems like a distant. And this is even before the pandemic hit that I just feel that uh, being on the Paramount Network and on DAZN, that is not a that's not a straight gateway to uh, be on the radar for most fight fans. Uh, I agree. I mean, look, and you also have the strategy of holding a lot of events in these uh, sort of like, you know, places that don't really draw a lot of eyeballs. Italy, Israel, um, Thackerville, Oklahoma. (laughs) Um, now, uh, you know, me, me saying, Hey, what's going on with Bellator? Like, I, I don't mean to be dismissive. It's, it's a pandemic. And, and, and you know, maybe a, a subject for a different day is, you know, the UFC, in order to even put on these events has to incur great expense, uh, for testing and all sorts of procedures. How many promotions can even uh, incur those costs? And, um, you know, sort of talking about, you know, Fighters like Bellator has similar contracts to the UFC, where fighters are owed a certain amount of contra- uh, fights per year. And so, if you are a free agent and you're skeptical about a promotion's viability, you know it, it, that changes things. And so, like, I, 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 I don't have the answer to any of these things. It's just, um, you know, it's the nature of, uh, you know, this pandemic business. Phil is going to have 48 hours to have all the answers to all of MMA's questions Saturday night. So tune in to our, our post show for all of that. We'll, we'll, we'll answer everything. Every single problem uh, that's affecting fighters, they will be – we'll have solutions. Uh, well, no. I think it's, it's just we'll – just, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just play armchair quarterback. We'll just criticize others from a distance. How does that sound? I like that. That's what we do. Uh, I think this main card is dynamite. I think this is totally worth the, uh, the amount that a pay-per-view goes for in the UFC. Uh, when you're looking at the undercard, uh, I, I think you really kind of need a magnifying glass to point out, you know, things to look out for. Uh, some highlights, uh, Volkan Olsdemir against, uh, Yuri Prochaska, who's, uh, a light heavyweight coming over from Ryzen. I think that's a very, uh, intriguing fight with a guy that could be a real player at 205 pounds in, uh, Prochaska. Uh, Makwan Amerkani is back fighting Danny Henry. I think that the, the hype train of Makwan Amerkani has stalled out the last few years, but at one point had, uh, I think, a lot of focus on him. Uh, he will be back. Uh, as well, in the opening fight on Fight Pass, Davey Grant, the winner of Tough back in 2013. Uh, he's quietly uh, returning here for a fight with uh, uh, Martin Day. Um, 
I, I don't have too much to add to this, these eight fights on the undercard, Phil. Uh, maybe some fights will be uh, really entertaining affairs. I'm not saying they're going to be bad fights, but I would say that uh, 95% of the attention uh, deserves to be on the main card in the days leading up to UFC 251. Yeah, I mean, three title fights, um, all the attention in the world. I mean, you can maybe argue four title fights with uh, the BMF title being unofficially on the line. Um, yeah, but underneath it, it, not too much. As you mentioned, Ozdemir, a uh, couple of Santoses, Dos Santos and Leonardo, Dos, and Leonardo Santos fighting. But yeah, it, it, it's pretty much uh, your people are tuning in for the pay-per-view portion of this event. Um and it's a really good looking main card. How many, how many, what would you have pegged this card to be doing? Let, like, let's take the, uh, the interest level for the Gaethje Ferguson fight because we don't know what, uh, 250 did last month. Um, but 249 with Gaethje and Ferguson, uh, reportedly did about 700,000 buys. What would you have pegged this card to have done with Gilbert Burns? And how much more is it doing with the new main event? I, I, I could see it being in the similar, like 700,000 buys under the old one. I mean, maybe, maybe on the lower end, 500,000, 500 to 700,000. Um, like this, you know, Fight Island has become this talking point on its own. Um, you have Max Holloway, who we've already talked about is a draw and has been on pay-per-views that have done very well. Jose Aldo has been on pay-per-views that have done very well. And Jorge Maz, well, I mean, we'll get to now Jorge Masvidal, but I think the anticipation for the event and the stacked card um, and the fact that there really is nothing else on in North America sports-wise um, was going to set this up to be a big event. And now with um, Masvidal stepping in, stepping in on one week notice and adding to all of that, um, I, I think... This could be a million. It, 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 it wouldn't shock me. Like there's just, there's been a lot of attention around it. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to say. I, I think a million is ambitious. Um, I see this one kind of at the level of Ferguson and Gaethje. Uh, but you know, during this period, you know, it's like that, that card with Ferguson and Gaethje greatly exceeded my expectations. So I think that there is that factor that when the UFC has, a pretty big card. It's like the ceiling is, it seems to be that much higher for uh, how they perform on pay-per-view. And this might be one that exceeds my expectations as well. So uh, that that's an interesting part, but certainly I think in uh, that much more focus after Masvidal was added to this card. So we've also got uh, a rare two-man booth on Saturday. It's going to be John Anik and Michael Bisping for the whole show because uh, Paul Felder is uh, quarantining himself. Uh, he tested negative for the virus, but uh, was on a plane next to Dean Thomas, who apparently has the virus, so he has not been flown to Abu Dhabi. So uh, two voices on on Saturday night. Yeah, I've got no problem with that. I, I, I've actually really enjoyed Michael Bisping um, being added to the broadcast team. I think he does a tremendous job. He maybe is a little bit too much of a bully to some of his commentating partners, but it's mostly harmless in, in a mostly harmless fashion. Um, so uh, that's I don't mind that. I mean, Paul Felder, I do like having him on the call, but obviously uh, better safe than sorry. Poor Paul Felder. He's had a quite a bit of bad luck. Uh, with a bunch of things. Um, but uh, I'm sure that uh, 
he'll get an opportunity to get on some calls back uh, when the UFC returns to the Apex. And uh, hopefully he can get a big marquee fight because it seems like he wants to fight. And I think the fans really want to see him get in there. And final thing, Saturday night, uh, why don't you lay out for our listeners uh, the coverage that we have uh, scheduled. I'm going to be uh, covering the card uh, on the website, but uh, where can our listeners tune in uh, to Phil and our man, Eric Marcotte? Yes, myself and Eric Marcotte are going to be streaming live uh, along with the uh, pay-per-view portion of the show. So at 10 p.m. Eastern time on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel, we'll be going live with a watch-along where we'll be giving our analysis and commentary of the fights. And uh, if you are, or you can chat along in the YouTube chat, but also we'll be chatting on Discord. And if you want to join us uh, via the voice channel, uh, you can do so. So we've got a voice channel set up in Discord where you can hop on during the stream and chat with us about the fights, what you're looking forward to, what you've already watched. And then immediately following the pay-per-view, uh, you and I, as we've already discussed, will be doing the post show and we'll be doing it live uh, again from the YouTube channel. And we'll also be taking calls via the Discord. So maybe if you want to get into the Discord early during the watch along, get practice at getting in the voice channel and comfortable with uh, talking to uh, some of the other uh, postmarks in there. And then when the uh, post show goes live and we're ready to take calls, uh, You'll be there uh, in Discord, uh, ready to talk to us. Uh, so the best thing to do, go to youtube.com slash postwrestling, subscribe to the channel, so then you'll get your your uh, notifications when, when we're going live. You can follow along with Phil and Eric beginning at 10 Eastern time. And the Discord channel, just go to postwrestling.com. Right there on the buttons is a link to send you to the Discord, and you can get all set uh, for a whole night of UFC 251 coverage with the crew at Post Wrestling. Uh, it should be a lot of fun, and I'm excited to uh, take calls through the uh, the Discord chat. Yeah, uh, it's always fun to talk to uh, the fans. Uh, always great to hear uh, uh, other people's takes. We had a new person join uh, the Discord the other day, Chris22. He had some awesome takes on his thoughts on Usman versus Masvidal. He's really excited to see uh, Rose versus Jessica too. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people talking about this card and uh, we'll be having a really good time on Saturday night. And final thing. Please let all the listeners know about your your burgeoning podcast that you have launched to, to great, great uh, fanfare. It's just growing by leaps and bounds. I don't think you can contain it in the, the fishbowl much longer. Uh, please tell us about the podcast, Phil. I thank you, John. Yes, the fishbowl is getting crammed. We may need to upgrade to an aquarium soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, I have my own podcast, not typically related to the world of mixed martial arts. It's called the Fishbulb Podcast. But uh, this, uh, my latest episode is uh, slightly related in that I speak to Elliot Baev. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and competitor, and he's also the owner of the Open Mat family of mixed martial arts schools. And and so uh, we talk about that. He's also your uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach and Way's Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. Yes. And uh, we so we talk about uh, martial arts, but we also talk about uh, some of the struggles in business that he's had. And he's also looking to do um, sort of more... Um, uh, I guess you could say philanthropic type work. And so we talk about that as well. And it's also the first 
a video edition of the show. So uh, if you want to see what Elliot has to say, you can uh, visit the Fishbowl podcast on YouTube. But if you prefer to listen to it, you can get it anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great show. I would recommend uh, checking it out. Even if you don't uh, study jujitsu, I, I think it's just a really interesting uh, discussion about uh, one guy's kind of life's journey and how jujitsu intersects with it. So I, I highly recommend the podcast. Thanks, John. And Phil did not put me up to that at all. I listened to it and I messaged you on my own to tell you what a great job you did with this interview, Phil. I want you to take a conference. I want you you to say, God damn right, Pollock. I know what I'm doing. I've got this shit on lock. It sounded more like you wanted me to give you praise for giving me praise. Of course. I want my own pat on the back. I, I'm doing such a great service promoting your show to the masses, Phil. So absolutely put the spotlight on me. Uh, I have not been invited onto Phil's podcast yet. We're trying to work on that at some point. Phil has told me, uh, you know, I've got a standard. Keep working, kid. And one day you might get that invite. You know, it's it's interesting because I'm pretty sure we have an official record that does clearly show that you were invited to the podcast, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody can dig up those rare recordings. I don't know. It, it's a lot of, uh, we'll see. I don't know. We'll, uh, <laughs> your people can talk to my people kind of thing. So I, I don't think we could put a concrete offer, uh, is out there in the universe, but nonetheless, I, 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 I see, John, that you, Come from the Jorge Masvidal school of negotiations. I, I see what's going on here. Okay. Well, I, I, you, you're, you're really just playing, uh, promoter here. And I know when you're in a pinch, <laughs> you'll, you'll come, you'll come rectify the bridge with John Pollock. So the, we will see. That's, it. that's the truth. That's, that's the most honest thing we've said in the last couple of minutes. Yes. <laughs> well, a podcast between the two of us on your platform, super necessary, the folks would say. <laughs> so that is it for us. We'll be back on Saturday night. Once again, uh, log in post wrestling, uh, youtube.com slash post wrestling 10 Eastern when the pay per view begins with Phil and Eric. And then I'll be on for the post show after the main card concludes. So, uh, that is it for us. Thank you for listening to our preview show and goodbye.